Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Elvis fans from around the world. Hello. Did you miss me? Because I missed you. Oh, my goodness. It is so good to be back in the WTVA podcast studios here in lovely Tupelo, Mississippi. King City, baby. Right down the road from the Elvis Presley birthplace. And I hope you're having a wonderful day, night, evening, whatever, morning. It's always a beautiful day here in King City, even though it's, as I look out right now, it's raining, but always a good time to be with you. Thank you so much for sticking it out with me. I am your humble host, Josh Ward. So glad that you could come with us. Now, I know it's been a while since I've put something out. But as with everything, work kind of gets in the way of fun things. But um, no, you know, it's just been kind of one of them things where uh, things happen and, you know, you move on. But I got to thinking, you know, the Elvis Festival is coming up here in Tupelo. And at the time of this recording, it's now been just a little over a week since the Tupelo Elvis Festival 2019. And I got to thinking, you know, when I first started this thing... It was right around the time of the Elvis Festival, and I thought, what a great time to reflect back on this past year of uh, Elvisology and uh, meeting friends, uh, making new friends, and uh, my goodness, what a year it has been. Some ups, some downs, as you've been along with me, but in the Elvis world, it has been quite a ride. Thank you again for coming along with me, and I thought, what a perfect time that when I started this thing, it was Elvis Festival, and now that I'm coming to a close, the Elvis Festival has come again, so, you know, wrap it all nice in a nice, tight teddy bear, would you say, I don't know, but anyway, I uh, decided to wrap this up around the time of the Elvis Festival, just like we started. And then we have a couple of, maybe three more episodes following this one. So, without further ado, we want to take this time to recap the Elvis Festival. This year, we actually had some pretty substantial storms come through during the Elvis Festival. But it did not dampen our spirits. Oh no! As a matter of fact, during one of the headliners over at the Bancor South Center this year, um, over at Fair Park, they were doing their free concerts, and I actually missed out on those, and I really hate it, but that's the way it is sometimes. I do know that um, local artist and awesome dude he is, Mr. Paul Thorne, was playing over at the Fair Park, and uh, he got rained out, which was not cool. However... It was very cool that he came over to the Bancor South Arena and did his show there. So it's kind of like a twofer, you know. You know, check out the ETAs, and then cool Paul Thorne gets up there and just rocks the house, and he does a wonderful job. He always does a wonderful job. I've always enjoyed him. So it was good to see him again. So this year, um, met some very interesting people that I'm excited for you to hear. So let's get right to it. Did things just a little bit different. In that I basically just have to tee this one up and then uh, turn it over to myself on location at the Bancor South Arena 
during some awesome events. And uh, I'm just going to let you hear that now. Oh, and I should say that I had a little help this year as my daughter, Sunny, joined me when at the festival. So you're going to hear her peppered in and out during some of these interviews. Here at the Elvis Festival again, and it is my honor and privilege. I have always wanted to meet this man. I've watched him in over and over. Mr. Bill Cherry, how are you, sir? I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. You had a killer show tonight, and uh, I've always said it's one of my things if I can I've been a fan for as long as I can remember um, an Elvis fan and right. and now a fan of Bill Cherry's oh thank you very uh, much <laughs> but I've I've always said if I can shut my eyes and hear Elvis come through the entertainer right they mean something and it means a lot to them what got you started uh, you know I, I think it was just really uh, uh, watching him on television uh, you know, I, I didn't know what an Elvis tribute artist was. I didn't know what an impersonator was. And uh, every time we would watch a movie on the television, uh, and this was before cable, you know. Uh, and so, so when Elvis Sound came like. on, it was, it, was, it was a big event, you know. So we would watch him on television. And then I would go in the bedroom, and I'd grab one of our albums we had of Elvis, and I would play it, and I would try and dance like he did in the movie to some of these records, you know. And uh, so, I mean, it's always been like that, you know. It amazes me that even your speaking voice sounds a lot like Elvis. Right. And, and, uh, well, you know, I, I was, uh, my father was from Dover, Tennessee, and my mother was from Arkansas. So those two, plus being an Elvis fan, I could win, you know. You right. <laughs> so there it is, you know. Yeah. Uh, I, I, well, I was telling my daughter here that uh, every time you said, okay, I mean, it sounds just like Elvis, just say it, okay. <laughs> but, uh, uh, okay. Yeah, 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 right. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, Mr. Bill Cherry, again, it has been a pleasure and it's been an honor. And I've always, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of fanboying over here a little bit, but uh, it's, uh, it's great to see you, brother. Well, I appreciate you and, and thanks for coming out and uh, celebrating the Elvis Week here in Tupelo. And uh, we love all the fans and uh, thank, we'd like to thank everyone for being an Elvis fan. Absolutely. That's what it's about. Thank you much. Thank you. I am standing, uh, of course, in Tupelo Hardware, and today is a very special day because we have sort of a homecoming, if you will. Uh, I don't, I know for a fact that it's not the first time it's come back home, but um, uh, Elvis's very first guitar uh, is, is sitting right in front of me, along with the uh, shirt that he wore at the 56 concert, and standing beside me uh, is the owner, proprietor, or however you want to say that, uh, Mr. Larry Moss. How are you, sir? I'm great, thank you. It's a fun to be here. It's a pleasure. Uh, how many times do you make it to Tupelo? Um, I've been, this is, I think, my third year, uh, but uh, the only times I've been here is for those three, the three Elvis festivals. Right. Yeah. Uh, so... I know you've told this story many times. Uh, would you mind telling it one more time of how you uh, became to get the guitar? Well, we'll go back all the way. The, the story is is that Elvis had got the, bought the guitar here in January 1946, carried it with him for a couple of years here. Then when the family moved to Memphis, carried it up there. We know he played it in school. We know that he played it on the uh, two demos that he made at Sun Records. We're pretty sure he played it on That's All Right Mama because he didn't have any money and didn't have any uh, batch of guitars. But uh, 
by 1955, that's all right, Mama had been out and there were a couple of other things that were happening and he was beginning to perform and he made a little money. And uh, Red West was going off to college uh, to play football on a scholarship. And so he, El Red had been playing the guitar and learning from Scotty and Elvis said, I want you to take my old guitar and keep doing what you've been doing because you're pretty good at it. <laughs> and he gave the guitar to Red. Red went down to school gave it to his roommate when he left school. His roommate kept it for 20-something years until he died. He gave it to his brother. They tried to auction it at a point in time and uh, didn't sell it at the auction. And then I got in touch with the gentleman after, after the auction was over with and made a private deal and bought it. And here and it is today. Is history. It, it's back home where it belongs. Yeah. Now, as, I, as I'm looking at it, we've got, what, three, four strings on it. I mean, it's, it's seen some weather, but it's, it's a timeless piece. It, it's had a rough run, uh, and the guy who had it for the longest time didn't play the guitar, didn't know. He just kind of banged it around and played with it or whatever. But I even so, went so far as to take it to uh, a prominent guitar refurbishing company or whatever and talk about getting it refurbished. And the guy told me, when you get through, you're going to have spent a lot of money and rebuilt a $10 guitar. And if that's what you want to do, it's fine. But it won't be the guitar that Elvis got because nothing's going to stay the same. Right. Yeah, that if you're right. keeping it for posterity and for keeping it for, you know, the, the sentimental slash memorabilia slash historical appeal of the thing, then you need to leave it like it is. And so that's what we've done. It, it is what it was then, and, and we'll be that to the end. And I, actually, I think it tells more of a story as it is. I mean, it's just, it's, it's unbelievable to see it here. Uh, it's, and like I said, it's in as, as, as original a condition as it could be. It's not playable anymore, but it is number one. It's the first guitar. Okay, and right beside it is the shirt that he wore at the 56 concert. Now, I, as I understand, correct me if I'm wrong, you just recently picked this up. Yep, I have only had it for, well, it's been about six months, eight months now. Uh, and it is the shirt that was worn in the afternoon concert uh, in September of 1956 uh, when he did the two shows here. He did one in the afternoon and one in the evening. And in the afternoon, he wore the blue shirt, which is here. And in the evening, he wore a burgundy or red, you know, crimson colored shirt. Both of them velour. Both of them made by Natalie Wood or given to him as a gift by Natalie Wood that she had had them made in, in Los Angeles by her Hollywood seamstress or the, the movie the movie uh, house, I guess, or whatever it was, their, their costume department. Okay. Well, I got to ask, do you have the red one too? No, I don't have the red one. <laughs> well, the red one just recently sold. It just sold in January oh, sure at Graceland. But the whole bottom of the red one was cut off. About six, eight inches of the bottom of the shirt had been cut off. Uh, they said it was because they, it was molded and, and messed up, and they did it to preserve the rest of the shirt. I think it was one of those uh, outfits or something that got cut up at some point in time, and they were making it's making uh, the trading cards, you know, like baseball cards or something with patches of material on them. And I really think that that's what happened to the bottom of that shirt. But okay. I don't know. But uh, I didn't get it. <laughs> I understand that you have uh, a, quite a collection. And uh, so how did you become, I mean, Elvis is just not your only thing in collection. 
right? I've grown up in Memphis. I've lived there all my life. So it's sort of a Memphis tie. Obviously, Elvis and the whole Sun Records in Memphis is such a strong thing. And there's Stax Records and there's the sports from Memphis and whatever. So the, the, the collection is kind of diverse in that it's more than just Elvis things. Uh, it's, you know, Jerry Lee Lewis stuff and Roy Orbison stuff and Johnny Cash stuff and, and then some of the Stax artists. Uh, my wife actually, her dad worked at Stax. He, he was originally worked at Motown. They were from, she's from Detroit, and they were originally, uh, they lived in Detroit for a long time, and, but he worked at Motown for eight years, nine years, and then when Motown decided it was moving out to California, he didn't want to go, and Barry Gordy contacted Al Bell, who was a Stax Records guy, and he came down here and went to work there for the last four or so years, four or five years that Stax was in existence. And, then she stayed in Memphis, and we got married, and the rest, as they say, is, <laughs> is history. Yes, sir. So not, not only, as, as you guys can hear, he's not only a uh, collector, he's also a wealth of information. Well, Larry, it's, uh, it's a pleasure to meet you, finally meet you. I've heard a lot about you, and uh, it's a pleasure to meet you, and thank you for your time today. You're kind, and it's always a pleasure to come down to Tupelo this time of year, so thank you. So I'm back at the Tupelo um, Elvis Festival. We are having a great time. And I have run into Miss Marion Conk, as you know. Uh, you Elvis fans who've been listening to this podcast for some time uh, absolutely know who this name is. And uh, this is, of course, Elvis's nurse. How are you, ma'am? I'm very well, thank you. It is, it is so good to finally meet you. I've missed you two or three times last, last year. Uh, we were going in passing, but I, and, uh, so I'm very happy to meet you today. I'm happy to meet you, too. Thank you. Um, you were Elvis's nurse for how long? Can you tell us? From 1975 until up until he died. Oh, uh, just one of the fondest memories. Can you pick one out, or even if you have two or three, just well, go right ahead. You know, every one, every one was was great. All of my memories of him were wonderful. He was a a, a really fine person. He was a great Christian. He uh, was well versed in the Bible. And um, he was just a good man. He was just a good man. I think the most favorite memory I have, we were sitting, we always sat in Lisa's room at night, and um, we were talking, and all of a sudden he reached over and he put his hand on my knee, and he said, Miss Cock, you're one of the very few people I know who's never asked anything of me but friendship. And of all the things that he gave me, that's the nicest thing. Yeah. Yeah. I can only imagine how, um, you know, how touching that would be, and, and it's such a such a moment for you. It was. It was. It really was, and I'll I'll never forget it as long as I live. Uh, you're sitting here at your table. Um, I actually have this book, and and you called him Babe, and that's actually the title of your book. I called him Babe. Can you tell us a little about your book? Well, it's just about my time with him. I didn't set out to write a book. And he had been gone about six or eight weeks, and I told my husband one Sunday on the way to work, I said, it seems so strange not to be going to Graceland every day to be take care of Elvis. And he said, well, before you get too old to remember, you ought to write down your memories, which I did. Yeah. And... Um, Sometime later, it was over a year later, and after Elvis had died, of course, and I was talking to Vernon, and he, um, 
was very hurt over so many of the bad books that were coming out about his son. And I told him, I said, well, Vernon, I've written my memories down about Elvis. And he said, could I read them? And I said, yeah, you can read it. So I took it to him the next day. And he called me two or three days later, and he said, can you come out here this afternoon and have a cup of coffee with me? And I said, sure. I said, are you okay? And he said, yeah. So I went out, and we had a cup of coffee and visited, and he said, uh, I want you to do something for me. And I said, I'll do anything I can for you. What is it? He said, I want you to publish this. And I said, Vernon, I can't do that. And he said, why not? And I said, I never took money from Elvis the whole time I nursed him, and I can't make money off of him now that he's gone. And he said, forget about the damn money. I want you to publish the book. And I said, if I can find the right people to do it, I'll do it. So that's the only reason it was ever published. It sat in my camper chest for two years after he died. Wow. I'd never taken it out to read it. That is an awesome story. Said, you know, when you get too old to remember, you can take it out and read it. There you go. And um, so virtually, I actually read it about a year ago because I'll be 93 next month. And I figured, well, I'm old enough that I may have forgotten something. (laughs) And uh, so I took it out and and read it. And um, I don't know. It was um, it brought back lots of memories. Uh, he was he was a wonderful young man. He really was. Can you tell me about the day you met him? Well, <laughs> you should have been at, at the thing this afternoon when I Tom. Wish I, had, had. Yeah. <laughs> I was working. Well, Tom um, asked me about it, and I said, "Well, of course, I was over a, a floor, and I was the supervisor, and I had 52 patients on my floor, and every day I saw every patient twice a day." in addition to running the floor. And of course, checking all the doctor's orders and all those things that had to be done. And um, so Dr. Nick told me he wanted him to come to my floor and I didn't want him on my floor. I said, no, Dr. Nick, I, I really would rather him not be up here. I'm afraid he'll be a distraction and I have, this is a busy floor. It was a medical floor. And in fact, Dr. Nick brought all his patients up there and the 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 uh, group that he was in, they brought all their pictures, all their patients up there. So I was not overjoyed about Elvis on my floor. <laughs> and uh, he, so he told me... Boy, did that feeling change, right? <laughs> well, <clears throat> it was funny. Um, he said, well, he's coming in tomorrow. And I said, I'm off tomorrow and the next day. And he said... Oh, come on, Miss Cock, please come in and take care of him. And I said, Dr. Nick, I don't get but two days off a week. And he said, well, if, if you won't do it for Elvis, do it for me. I said, okay. And I really did not want to go. But I went, they called me when he left for the, hosp- for the hospital, and actually he got there before I did. And you know, when I walked in the door of that hospital that morning about 5.30, I could feel the static electricity in that building. And I got up to the, to my floor, and the night nurse was there at the desk, and she said, Miss Cock, he's already here. And I said, yeah, I know it. So I went in my office and took off my coat and put my purse up and walked on down the hall. And the closer I got to the room, I was a little bit excited. And um, I walked in, 
Dr. Nick introduced me to his dad and Joe Esposito and somebody else was in the room. I don't know, remember whether it was Dick Grobe or who it was. And then he said, do you know who this is? I said, yeah, I think I know who that is. So we, um, about five minutes later, everybody got up to leave. And Joe Esposito came back in the room and he said, we need to talk about private duty nurses for you. And he said, oh, I'm going to talk to Miss Cock first. So about one o'clock that day, he said, um, what you want me to do about private duty nurses? And I said, honey, that's entirely up to you. What do you want to do about private duty nurses? And he said, well, I tell you, he said, I'll have them if you want me to, but I want you to be the one to take care of me. And I said, well, if I'm going to take care of you, you don't need to pay, you don't need private duty nurses. And I said, but I won't be here 24 seven. I said, I'll have my three to 11 charge nurse take care of you. And I'll have my 11 to seven charge nurse take care of you, but I'll take care of you during the day. He said, that's good enough. So I did, in addition to my 52 patients that I saw twice a day and all the doctor's orders that I had to check and all the nurses that I had to check and, and you know, make sure that everything was going smoothly, I took care of him. <laughs> it was a job. But uh, I, I'll tell you, I'll always love him. He was a good man. He was a good person. Can you take me to... Um the last time you saw him? Yeah. It was 2 o'clock in the morning. I was I got a call from him. And he had told me one time, he said, you know, Miss Cock, when I feel good, I like these tricky young nurses around me some. He said, when I'm sick, I want you with me. So it was about 2 o'clock in the morning. My telephone rang at home. And um, it was Elvis. And he said, I need you to come out here. And I said, okay. I didn't ask him any questions. I just said, okay. I'll be out there and take me about 30 minutes because I lived about 20 miles from Graceland. I had to get up and get dressed. And I said, I'll be out. So I got out there and he um, was sitting up in the bed and Ginger was in the room at the time. And she, I don't know where she went to, but she was gone for a while. And I sat on the side of the bed and I put my hand over on him like this and he put his hand over on mine and we sat there for four hours we didn't talk very much if he wanted to talk we talked and otherwise we were quiet and about four hours later he said I'm okay now and he said it's okay for you to leave he said you need to go home and get some sleep and I said are you sure you're okay and he said yeah I just needed you to be here and so I said, okay. So he hugged me, and I told him goodbye, and I got to the door going out of his room, and he said, Miss Cock. And I turned around, and I said, what is it, honey? And he said, the doors of this house will always be open to you, and they still are. That is amazing. The day he passed away, I got a call from Graceland. Elvis wanted me to come out that afternoon, rub his back, have a cup of coffee with him. It never came about. The next thing I knew, he was in the in the emergency room, and they were coding him, and uh, I asked him to stop because it was so evident he had been dead a long time. And so they did stop for a minute. There was a straight line. They started again, and I said, Dr. Nick, please do not do this to him anymore. Please stop this code. 
and he did. So they extubated him and took all the equipment away, and I was left in the room by myself with him. And I got a washcloth and wet it, and I washed his face and brushed his hair back, and I kissed him on the forehead and told him goodbye. I've actually heard that story, um, but man, the emotion hearing you tell it to my face is uh, is something else. It was something I'll never forget as long as I live. And then the next day, I went out to the house that morning early, and uh, Priscilla, they had just brought Elvis home from the funeral home. And well, it was about noon, I guess 11 o'clock, something like that. And Priscilla Delta, when I walked in the back door, Delta was his aunt that lived with him. And she said, Priscilla's in signing the guest book. So I went on in and I stood back until she finished. And she turned around and she saw me and she hugged me and she said, Elvis loved you so much. And I said, Priscilla, he loved you too. He never stopped. And she said, thank you for that. And we chatted for just a few minutes, and she went in to see him. I didn't go in with her. That was her time. And so when she came out, I went in, and his hair was all brushed back, you know, and he always had to flip a hair over. And I flipped his hair, and Charlie Hodge said, uh-uh, don't touch his hair. And he, Charlie flipped his hair back in place because he had come in there. And he turned around and walked out of the room, and I flipped his hair back over again. Like it was supposed to be. And um, it was tough. It's still tough. You know, I lost my daughter 18 years ago, the 5th of July. And there's never a day that goes by that I don't live her, relive her death and I relive Elvis's death and my husband's death. So I'm all alone now. I've got two little Yorkies. They're my babies. And uh, they love their grandma. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they do. Well, let's end on a happy note. And um, can you give me uh, one of the funniest moments? This is actually uh, my da- one of my daughter's questions. She, she likes to ask well, on time. So. I, I, can, I can give you the funniest moment that I remember very, very vividly. And he burst out laughing, and I did too at the first part of it. Um, there was a light-skinned black maid that worked there, and she always brought this breakfast tray up and brought our coffee up at night when I would call her and ask her to bring our coffee up to us. And so she came up that night, and she turned to leave, and he said, My God, Maggie, he said, You've got the biggest ass I've ever seen. <laughs> and I just, I was sitting on the daybed and I almost fell off the daybed laughing and he was laughing and he had the most infectious laugh I've ever heard in all my life. And so we finally got over it and Maggie finally ran out of the room and so a few minutes later his coffee cup was about empty and he was ready for more hot coffee and I sort of don't like people to pour hot coffee in on top of my coffee when there's a little cup in in there. So I would always take his cup over to the sink and rinse it out. So instead of walking over to the little sink in Lisa's room, I backed over to it and I put my hand behind it and turned the water on. He said, Miss Cock, what the hell are you doing? I said, you are not going to tell me that I've got the biggest ass you've ever seen. 
and his face turned red, and he started laughing. And he was going, uh, he wasn't laughing, he was going, you know, he was just stuttering and stammering. And I said, boy, don't you sit there and lie to me. I can tell by looking at you that's what you were thinking. <laughs> But it was, it was fun, and he was, he was just a, a wonderful person. He really was. A very, very smart man, uh, a very deeply religious man, and uh, one of the uh, local um, parish priests in Memphis said, he knows more about the Bible than I do. He was very well versed in the Bible, and he... He, I remember Priscilla telling me one time when they were married that he would wake her up every morning at 6 o'clock when the sermon started coming on TV. They'd sit up and watch all those. That's the only way he could go to church. But he would wake her up every morning at 6 o'clock for her to watch the church services with him. He was a sweetheart. Well, Miss Cock, it's a, an honor and a privilege to meet you finally and, and get to talk with you. Thank you for your time. Well, you're quite welcome. Let me tell you one more thing he said sure. to me one night. You know, he never could go any place. And he said, you know, Miss Cock, he said, sometimes I just wish I could, in, in an overalls, walk out the gates of this estate with my daddy but be free find a way to get her book. It's called I Called Him Babe. So if you'd like to get a copy of it, uh, be sure and try to find where Miss um, Cox's going to be. Well, and um, call me. And my phone number is area code 901-324-9612. And tell me they want the book, and I'll tell them how much it is. They pay me, and I'll mail it to them. Well, there you go. Just as simple as that. Mm -hmm. uh, no, no middleman. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Still here at the Elvis Festival, and it is my honor and privilege to uh, run into, literally run into, Mayor Jason Shelton. How are you doing, sir? Oh, I'm having a great time. This is such a big week for the city of Tupelo and the, the Elvis world in general. I'm just, I'm having a blast. And, uh, you know, other than a few raindrops, it's just going exceptionally well. Even though with the rain, honestly, we've had a really good crowd this year. Yeah, you know, inside the, uh, the arena here, the uh, Elvis tribute competition, the showcase is here. Everything's great. I'm glad they were able to work it out between the arena and downtown Main Street Association to get Paul Thorne inside. Yeah, yeah. You know, the, the first few shows went on without a hitch, and we had a great crowd out there in Fair Park, and then they, they moved it on over, as they would say. Yeah. Um, you know, but uh, everything's going great. It's, it's such a... You know, just a wonderful week in the city of Tupelo, and I'm having a great time. Elvis's impact on Tupelo, even to this day, is still pretty big. Wouldn't you agree? You know, it. It. I don't know if it could even be measured from when Elvis came back in 1956 and 1957, the economic impact then, and and literally putting Elvis, putting the city of Tupelo on the map for Elvis worldwide then. And the uh, 60 years that have followed has, has just been phenomenal. Um, you know, 100,000 people or so a year come to the city of Tupelo just because of Elvis Presley. And that's just phenomenal. I mean, you know, I don't think there's another, other than Memphis, of course, with Elvis that has much more than that. But, you know, a city the size of Tupelo, I don't think there's another city in the world that that many people come because of an entertainer. 
And, you know, that that's amazing. That's, that speaks volumes in itself. Yeah. Um, I've actually heard through the grapevine here and, here and there, uh, you know, just standing in line or what have you, uh, of people actually uh, complimenting the city and saying that they're finally doing it right with Elvis and, and getting things right. Your comments on that? Well, Debbie Brangenberg, our Elvis Festival director and uh, downtown Main Street director, she does a phenomenal job. Um, you know, our birthplace, everyone over there, uh, the staff there does a, a tremendous job. Our city council supports it. Uh, the only thing that I can say is I'm, you know, I'm a East Tupelo person. I'm, uh, I don't like to brag too much, but I'm extremely proud to be the first mayor in the history of the city from East Tupelo, uh, where Elvis was from. Uh, so all I can say is I'm an Elvis fan and I'm proud to support it. But Debbie and her team, the blue team, they just do a phenomenal job. Uh, Don Lewis, our COO, um, has, has had a few great ideas over the past few years, one being the free outdoor uh, concert, uh, which we had to move inside Thursday. But, uh, you know, we've just got a, uh, a tremendous team, and I'm just proud to, to be a part of it. Folks, he is the mayor, so we have to wrap this up pretty quick. But, uh, Mayor Sheldon, it's always a pleasure to see you. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much, and hope uh, everyone has a great time and uh, celebrates Elvis Presley Festival with us. See you next year? Absolutely. I'll be here. All right. Uh, so thank you. It's been a year, Mr. Cody Slaughter. How are you? I'm doing good, sir. How are you, That's man? Good. Thanks for uh, thanks for talking to me. I get kind of lonely out here on the road. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good to see you. Um, first question I want to I want to ask you is, what's going on with the backups? The backups. So we're <laughs> we're releasing a new album soon. Um, you know, myself and my my partner there, uh, Brad Mitchell. Yeah. We uh, we've been in the studio uh, recently at Daisy Cove Studios and uh, working on a new album, and we're actually forming another band called The Instrumentals. The Instrumentals? Yeah, zero vocals. I love it. Yeah, thank I you. Love it. I love it. <laughs> we actually have him here. Uh, Brad, step in here. Yeah, come on in here, Brad. Let's How talk about you? the development of the uh, the backups there, well, man. Well, the backups. Uh, well, Cody and I were listening to some music one day, and uh, we found ourselves singing along to just the backups only, and Cody had the great idea of, like, maybe we should do that just sing the backup vocals and I said yeah and we'll call ourselves the backups yeah. and so you know and lo and behold and you know yeah. it took off pretty quick and uh, <laughs> and uh, you know we're having a lot of fun with it and uh, we're really looking forward to this new uh, album that's coming out and uh, we, we think that people will enjoy it if it's instrumentals I mean obviously there is not a title. There's well. It could be like the White Album, maybe. It can be whatever. You know, the, we're the instrumentals. We're the backups. Uh, we're, we're, you know, what what happened was we ran into some copyright issues. We wanted to do some bigger things, but once we realized that we can upload karaoke and just do the backups, then we could upload it and not have any problems there. So. Well, in all seriousness, uh, tell me what's been going on last. Uh, well, September uh, was yeah. we saw you in September, and um, you know. Uh, Ran into you here last year, but the last time we talked was September. So what's been yeah. going on since then? Last September, so uh, basically, you remember? Yeah, bought a house and got settled in there, taking care of, you know, regular life stuff and perform performing for the greatest fans in the world, the Elvis fans. Yes, sir. Well, again, had a killer show and uh, everything was uh, was awesome. Appreciate you got that. anything to say? 
Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Perfect. Uh, so anyway, uh, here with Cody Slaughter. Thank you, brother. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. It's always good to see you. Take care. You too. Thank you. Okay, guys. I'm still 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 running around here at the at the festival, and um, uh, I have <laughs> run into a a a kind of I'm kind of fanning out a little bit here because I, I've ran into one of my heroes in the Memphis area. Uh, YouTube star for me is the Spy Guy. How are you doing? I'm doing great, my friend. How about you? Doing good. And your name is? Uh, Billy Stylings is yes. my real name, but I go by the Spy Guy. The Spy Guy. And you guys got to check him out. He's got some really awesome videos about Elvis, everything Elvis. Um, just you name it, it's on there. Can uh, What's going on? What's been going on? Oh, man, just making videos, filming, filming, filming. I came here. Um, I, I've been filming in Tupelo a lot lately. Um, in fact, I've probably been to Tupelo in the last two months. I've probably been here five or six times filming. We, we come up with ideas. I'll come down here and shoot it and, and move on uh, to the next thing. We shoot, 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 you know. So I, I don't have, I only have X amount of time to, to gather footage. Right. So I'm working, gathering, 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 and then I'll, I'll edit. I edit about 20 hours a week on average, you know, so I put yeah. out a lot of content. But this time, I had never been in Tupelo hardware before. And I really don't, uh, I don't usually go into places until I'm ready to. I want to go in and, and film, get my stuff, and get out of there. I don't like to go in and talk a whole lot and ask questions and stuff. I like to go in and just get my stuff and get out. I know that's probably weird, but I do that because I don't want to get kicked out of somewhere. I don't want them to say no. So I go in and film yeah. so fast that they don't have time to say no. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So that's the way it is done. But, but uh, naturally, uh, Tupelo Hardware was so nice and so accommodating. And uh, they did reenactments today of him going in and buying the guitar. They also had the original guitar there. Uh, it was just, it was an incredible day. Tupelo is a great town, man. It's a place I would, I would live here. This is a place that I would love to live. Well, we'd love and, to have you. Oh, man, it's, it's, it's really a nice town. It really is. And uh, the other things that I'm doing is I've been filming a lot uh, lately with Carl Perkinson's stand. Yeah. So I've got some Carl Perkins stuff coming up. And uh, I got a lot of Carl Perkins stuff coming up, in fact. And I'm also helping him sell some of his stuff. He has the Les Paul that Carl wrote Blue Suede Shoes on, and we're selling that guitar for him. Wow. So I'm helping him with some things like that, but I'm getting the Carl Perkins, Roy Orbison, Johnny Cash tie-in, all that stuff, and all the Sun Studio stuff, all the kind of behind-the-scenes Sun Studio stuff from Stan, uh, because he grew up with his dad being a Sun star and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So um, I, it's just an exciting time, man. I just love to tell history and capture history and go back and and a lot of the stuff that I'm doing in Tupelo uh, I just put out a video about the bicycle at Graceland you've seen it in the smokehouse yeah, yeah, the one yes, that's hanging yes. in the corner yes. I proved that that bicycle is the bicycle that he bought he got for his 13th birthday here in Tupelo on January 8th 1948 that is the bicycle and um, so that came I'm now I'm working on where it came from in Tupelo Somebody was a Columbia bicycle dealer, and the hardware store says it wasn't them. So I don't know where that bicycle came from, but I'm on. I'm on a. Uh, 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 we're we're on our way to figure out what happened and where that happened. Well, at. Let's just team up, all right? All you guys who are, have been listening to the podcast, get to get to checking out. Contact the spa guy and see if we can figure who had this bicycle. Absolutely, you go to uh, YouTube. 
look, put in Spa Guy and Elvis and it'll pull up. I have, as of today, I have 205 Elvis videos. Yeah. And uh, I put out two new ones every week. Not necessarily always Elvis, but usually Elvis related. Depends on what I've, what I've got happening at the time. Of course, I've got Carl Perkins stuff coming up. I've got some Roy Orbison stuff coming up. Uh, but always in that genre. And you know, I, I see a direct tie with Elvis, Carl, uh, Roy, Johnny. I, I, I group all those guys together as kind of an era of music. So I work on uh, those things. And of course, whatever history happens to come up. Um, I filmed today with Danny Smith, uh, Billy Smith, Elvis's second cousin. Danny is Elvis's second cousin. We filmed together today. Um, I just, I, man, I've got some exciting stuff. I'm excited about all of it. That's just, I'm excited. <laughs> As we say in the business, it's a tease, so everybody be sure to watch. <laughs> That's right. But please come by. If you have any information on that bicycle, go to YouTube. You can look me up, comment, uh, or you can email me. My email is billy at the sgnetwork.com. And I would love to know where Columbia Bicycles came from. Also, if anybody has a 47 model Columbia Bicycle here in Tupelo, I'm interested in buying one. So there you go, folks. You heard it right now. <laughs> a boy's bike, 26 inch blue with white, white trim. I'm, I'm in the market. I'm looking for one. I, I want to ride the bicycle that Elvis rode. Yeah. Yeah. Now, listen, I, I don't want to, I don't want to spoil because I want everybody to go to go to your uh, channel and watch this video because it's really interesting. But can you give us a little bit of the story of you jumping the fence at Graceland. Oh, sure. And there's actually two fence stories. That's right. That's uh, right. Tennessee Ted. I call him the mayor of Graceland now, the legendary Tennessee <laughs> yeah, Ted. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, in 1988, I had I grew up as an Elvis fan, and as a teenager, you know, Elvis passed away in 77, and that's about the time just before that I became an Elvis fan and started really getting interested. And when I would listen to those records and read the stories and read the magazines and read the books, I always dreamed about going to Graceland. And, but I didn't want to see the regular tour. I had it in my mind that I needed to see more stuff. And when you build yourself up for 10 years, I went in 1988 was the first time. And in 1988, I would have been 23 years old. So you can imagine, I, for about 10 years, I dreamed about going there. So all the energy of, of getting the opportunity to go to Graceland was built up for 10 years. Oh, yeah. And suddenly I'm and there. Frustration. And that's what it was. I was suddenly there with the opportunity to go over that fence. And I had, um, uh, I went to a camera shop and said, how do I take photographs in the dark? And he said, the way you do it is you use 1600 speed film and you use this camera. So I bought a camera, I bought 1600 speed film and I had a plan. I left my wife in the hotel room. I went, <laughs> I jumped the fence. I told her what I was gonna do. I went and jumped the fence and went she all- She had bail money ready, I guess. Well, <laughs> she was just praying that nothing happened. And I went to the back and went around and I did take photographs. Unfortunately, he left out one detail. That detail is, is you cannot take film in the dark at 1600 speed without a tripod. And I was hand holding the camera. So my pictures, you can, I, in my video, I show you the pictures 
they're just a little squiggly. They're not, but you can tell I'm behind Graceland and all well, that. Yeah, and, and even so, and 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 I don't want you to tell what it is because I want people to go to this video. I don't want to tell, but when when you go to this video and watch it, you can tell what's what and and, and kind of where the location is where you're looking. Yeah, and you can you know you can see where I, I went all the way to the barn in the back corner, back right corner by Vernon's house. Went in that barn, went through that stuff, and just kind of worked my way back. Um, and you know, my story is is good. Tennessee Ted's story is extraordinary. He went over the fence and met Elvis. Oh wow! You know, which is incredible. Yeah. And he did that in 1973. And uh, he got to talk to Elvis, and then they took him back to the gate, and Uncle Vester gave him a poster for his for his time for his trouble he thought he was getting arrested and he ended up meeting Elvis and getting a poster from Uncle Vester and he still has the poster today and uh, so watch that video look for uh, uh, Ted look for a 1973 fence jump story or and look for the 1988 fence jump story I jumped when Elvis wasn't alive he jumped when Elvis was alive so it took a little more bravery to jump when Elvis was alive and in broad daylight mine was nighttime so but. So, what happened to the spy guy? Well, I guess you'll have to check it out and see, uh, but he tells it in, in, in great detail. It's a wonderful story. Check it out. The spy guy, go to YouTube, Go to uh, check, uh, put in your search, the spy guy, and uh, just check out all of his videos. It's 200-something, so when you went ready for a binge watch, go in there and check it out. Uh, great to meet you, man. Nice to meet you, my friend. God bless you, and thank you so much, and I appreciate y'all watching. Absolutely. Yes, sir, and it's an honor to do them. It's, uh, I, I count it an honor. It's, it's, I can't hardly wait to tell those stories. You know, it's, it's a real outlet. And you can tell too, yeah. it's very well done. Yes, sir, I'm an Elvis fan, yeah. just like y'all. And I'll go to see the things I wanna see and I figure y'all wanna see them too. Yeah. That's it. Thanks much. God bless you, man, appreciate you. Yes. All right, I'm back here at the Tupelo Elvis Festival. It's day two for us. And uh, last year I tried to run into this guy and it's one of the most exciting shows I have seen. And uh, I was really hoping to see you uh, this year, uh, but I am talking about none other than Cody Downeth, and it's uh, very well, uh, very happy to see you and meet you this time. Absolutely, brother. It's been a blast this year and last year, man. It's, it's been, I can't even believe it's a year already. Can you and, 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 and we just found out who our new Tupelo champion is. Yeah, Taylor Rodriguez, one of my best buddies, uh, and uh, it just never ends. The legacy continues right. on and on. And, and that's, that's funny that, that you bring, because that's going to be one of my questions, was, um, you know, when we uh, talk about the, the brotherhood of the Elvis, the ETAs, uh, that's, a, that's a true thing. It, Tell me about it that. It is, man. Um, so, like I said, my, my brother from another mother, Taylor Rodriguez, um, he's, he's worked over almost two years to get back to the ultimate, and he's honed his craft, and we've all encouraged him, helped him along the way. And um, he deserves it, man. And, and and we all try to help each other, you know. And um, all, all we all we all we it's just it's just that band, man. It, it it's that bond, that that common bond that we know that we're always going to be there for each other, yeah. always. And it's funny that you, you guys are never it's it's never it's a competition, but it's not really a competition. No, you know? no, it's not a competi competition, competition like a like a showgirls type right. moment or anything <laughs> yeah. like that. You know what I mean? Um, so or, or Miss America, you know, huh, you know, yeah. you take that. <laughs> yeah. you know. How did you get into this? How did you start? Two years old, man. Uh, grandma sat me down, and uh, from there I went to uh, watch 
follow that dream that day and uh, I watched the Aloha special and follow that dream was actually filmed 15 minutes away from my house so uh, yeah so I've always said that uh, if it wasn't for that I, you know I, I, I wouldn't have met all these wonderful people and uh, we wouldn't have this conversation right now you know um, and I started singing uh, professionally professionally like really like this is my job about four years ago Four years ago, it's always been a hobby, mm-hmm. and we've we've gone around to the contests and stuff like that. I had my four, first live performance when I was four, wow. and four years old, man, yeah. and um, <laughs> little gold lame suit, and started getting professionally trained with my vocals. And um, man, I I'm just forever grateful for for how I I did got get started with this. And Elvis is Elvis is is and still is my my superhero, yeah. my Captain America, Batman, all yeah. that, yeah, yeah. Um, there was one I was talking to Tom Brown some time ago, and, and he was he was like, you know, everybody's got their picks, but uh, Elvis is, is a superhero to everybody. He's got his cape, he's got his, you know, the whole nine. That's what I remember about looking at that, that footage from Aloha, man. I was like, who are you? Yeah. <laughs> what are you? Yeah. Where did you come from, and how can I become you? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I wanted to be Elvis, man. The next day, literally the next day, I tried, I picked up anything that I could find, used it as a, as a microphone, it was a pencil, it was a marker, uh, pan, I don't know, uh, and uh, anything that I could remotely resemble an Elvis costume to, I would pick up and, and wear it. You know what I mean? Right, <laughs> like, I had yeah. this scarf. My grandmother had this scarf with the tassels on it, mm-hmm. which is modeled off of the, chain, uh, the fringe suit. We've all seen that from 1970. And I would stick the fringe out of my shirt, and I'd be like, okay, this is my bead suit now. <laughs> this is my bead yeah. suit. And you know how he had, like, the chains? So I would get yarn balls and tie them to my, like, waistband, and I'd be like, okay, these are my chains. And I have, like, a bunch of pom-pom balls <laughs> hanging, off my, hanging off my belt and stuff like that. Um, so... Anything. I mean, it was, and then it progressively, you know, I, I got my first jumpsuit off eBay. My mom and dad bought me it, and it was like one of the party city shop things oh, and yeah, stuff like that. Yeah. So, um, and then, I mean, it, it just escalated from there, man. I mean, I never, if you would have told me that, you know, I'd be here today, and uh, this, this is my living right now. This is my living. I would have been like, kind yeah, of your mind, huh? yeah. You're crazy. Who are you? And why are you telling me this? <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so it, it blows my mind every day. Every day I wake up, you know. Uh, I've been on the road for three weeks now. Wow. Three festivals in a row. Texas, Lake George, New York, and then Tupelo this weekend. So, I mean, it, are you getting any rest? Uh, not, not really. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to the after party tonight and kind of make an appearance, do the, do the <laughs> Miss America wave, and then right. dip out and go to, go to sleep, get, yeah. get a full night's rest before I have to drive home, you know. Um, so, man, it's unbelievable. And Tupelo is the best festival around. Oh, yeah. And I know that's a very bold statement, but it is, man. Yeah. Best, 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 best ever. Cool. Uh, uh, what is your favorite song to perform? You had to pick one. I Can I pick two? Fun. You can pick two. Okay, pick two. Okay, well, we'll move her, and then we'll do a power song. Okay. So Suspicious Minds is my favorite one to perform. Yeah. Suspicious, suspicious minds, man. Uh, you know, you can it capsules everything that Elvis ever did on stage in a contest. You know, in 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 a one song format. Like these these guys had to do that th- this year. And um, power song, Unchained Melody, man. Oh wow. Unchained yeah. Melody is my, is my song, man. And you got the pipes to do it, man. Oh, I tell you. Thank you. I, I, I'm. I, we're two months away from Memphis right now, and I'm gonna ramp up and. Uh, 
start practicing more and more. I, I was the first one to qualify for the ultimate this year. Yeah. I won in Tweed, Ontario, Canada. And uh, so now we're getting right. we're getting down to the last three, and so I yeah. got to dust off the the competition chops and, and keep going, man, and keep building. But it's brotherhood. But <laughs> it is a it is a brotherhood. It is a brotherhood. We are, but man, we do want to be the best no, version of him that we can be on stage. Rephrase that: the best tribute to him that we can be on stage. Right. You know, I say version because I mean that we're all portraying a version of that era. You know, it, what, what is our version of that? What's our take on that tribute, you know? Uh, how are we going to make it our own, you know? Are we going to be authentic to that? And, you know, that's... Th- th- this year's Tupelo contest, man, I mean, it had seven people that knew or had met Elvis. Oh, wow. Lowell Hayes, Dick Grobe, uh, Victoria Page. Yeah. Um, uh, the former... Talk. Yeah, Miss... Yes, yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was, it was absolutely... Miss Louise, actually, in the uh, tonight, in the, in the yeah, Miss Louise. I mean, they they their their judging panel was unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I mean, you, you get that judging panel, and you have to be authentic. Yeah, you <laughs> have you to be authentic. <laughs> you know what I mean? And um, you know, there's there's a time to to do your show show, mm-hmm. and there's a time to be authentic. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, I, I try to I try to be as as fun and outgoing and energetic and authentic as I can on that stage, right. you know what I mean? Um, now, I, I have to admit, and I've actually uh, told um, Dwight Eisenhower last year, uh, I was one of those people who, were, when I first started, I would look, you know, and say, oh, these guys are trying to be Elvis, they can't, there's never going to be another, and, and you know, I kind of was like, ah, I don't know. The more I got into it and the more I looked at it and checked it out, see what you guys were all about, you know what I mean? Uh, as you say, it's not a, it's not a. I'm trying to be him. It is totally a tribute. Can you talk to talk about some pe- people who say that to you? Yeah, man. Um, I, I get a lot of that <laughs> on Facebook. I'll post stuff on Facebook, and then I'll be like, "Man, let's rock Tupelo or something like that." And they'll be like, "Well, there'll never be another Elvis." And I'll be like, "Well, where did I say that I was Elvis? You know, yeah, what I mean? you know yeah, what I mean? Exactly. When did I? What did I claim to be Elvis?" And um, so, I, to those people, man. Don't knock it until you try it. Yeah. You know, that's Absolutely. an old saying, and it stands true to, to, to this very, very, very true. And um, it's, like you said, it's the brotherhood. It, if you see what these guys go through to make themselves as authentic as possible, and it's not, hey, baby, come on, baby, oh, yeah. you know, all that, humana, 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 you know, all that stuff. Um, and I'm not taking away from those guys either, but... They're, it's a different. It's a different thing. They're impersonators. They want to be Elvis. I don't want to be Elvis. Right. I'm Cody. Yeah. Do I want to spread his legacy? Wholeheartedly. Yeah. Absolutely, man. So that that's what I have to say to that. We're spreading a legacy, and we're growing a legacy, and and doing a heck of a job. Oh man, I appreciate those <laughs> yeah. kind words, man. I really do. Cody, I appreciate your time, and uh, it's always uh, a pleasure to see you on stage. It's, it's so nice to meet you here today, and uh, thanks again. Thank you so much, brother. And here we are finally talking with Taylor Rodriguez. Congratulations on getting named 2019 Tupelo Elvis Festival champ. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm, I'm just overwhelmed at the moment. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Overtook. Man, you had a killer show. I mean, I, I saw and uh, from what I've seen, um, the, the basics questions first. How did you get started? What got you into this? Yeah, so when I was about um, six years old, um, I used to be um, babysat by my aunt. 
um, uh, while my parents were working at our restaurant, and we always listened to Elvis music in the car, around the house, and whatnot, and it was just kind of something that caught on, and um, I went on YouTube, which YouTube wasn't actually that big at the moment. Yeah. Um, it was like maybe a couple videos of Elvis on there, Blue Suede Shoes was on there, and that was the first video I saw, and I was like, this is what I want to do. This this is the guy I want to be. This is this is great. And um, for Halloween, I dressed up as Elvis and sang at my parents' restaurant. And I started doing some uh, small competitions. And um, here I am today. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's kind of a crazy ride. Yeah, yeah I guess yeah. so. How long have you been doing this now? Since I was about nine. So and I'm 21 now. Okay. Yeah. Congrats. Thank you so uh, again. much. Again. And um, now, uh, you're headed to Memphis. What what's what's the big what's going through your mind right now? Well, um, someone described it perfectly to me earlier. They said I'm just in La La Land right now, and I am. I'm just kind of yeah. like I'm being pulled in every direction and everything else, and um, it's just an overwhelming feeling right now. Um, right. It there's um, definitely you know I wish my aunt was here to see me. Uh, you know, unfortunately she had passed away, and I wish my my parents were here. They're actually working at the restaurant right now, so. <laughs> Um, but I know they're cheering me on back home, so um, I'm just overwhelmed, lost for words, honestly. Taylor, thank you so much for um, your time. Con uh, congratulations. Thank you. Thank and you. Uh, good luck in Memphis. Thank you so much. Thank you. you. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. Take care. One of my daughter's favorite, and I'm kidding you not, uh, my daughter's favorite movies is Speedway. She can quote every line in the thing, sing every song. And on occasion, we'll actually sing um, Bring Your Cell Phone Home. But anyway, well, we won't get into that. Uh, Let I'm, Yourself Go is one of my favorites. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I'm happy and honored to be in front of Miss Victoria Page Marinick uh, here tonight. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. It's such a pleasure to meet you. Lovely to meet you. And um, you are, you played Ellie. Ellie Easterlake, yes. Yeah. William Schaller was my dad. Yeah. The, the biggest question I have for you, how many times have you been sung to, uh, your time, it hasn't come yet, baby? <laughs> wow, I think it's countless at this point, <laughs> if, especially if you count the cruise ships where there were oh, yeah. so many tribute artists on the boat, and every time an elevator door opened or I walked down a staircase, I'm serenaded, which I absolutely love. So I treasure those moments. Oh, but so that doesn't bother you at all. Oh no, not at all. <laughs> but um, especially this last year. I mean, 2018 was the 50th anniversary of Speedway, yeah. and it, it really sort of went on tour along with I revealed the dress. I have the original dress that I wore in the movie, and. Um, that sort of went on tour with me. So every ETA at every festival has been singing it to me at least once live during the <laughs> festival, which I treasure. I mean, and Cody started off, Cody Dayanath, he started it and it was absolutely magical. And then he's been surprising me here and there with it. And uh, we kid the ones that haven't serenaded me yet, like Ben Thompson. He hasn't yet. So oh, it's like, okay. come on, Ben and Dean, you're next. So, yeah. um, but it's really, really fun. I, I love it. Yeah. I love it. And, and I, I've actually seen um, videos of that, of Cody and you yeah. on, online, on YouTube. So you guys go check that out. Uh, you definitely want to do that. So, so tell me, what's, what's, what happens in the day-to-day -day life so far for you? Now or then? Okay, either. <laughs> Take your pick. Well, let's I was see. talking about now, but, you oh, know, now. But, but either way. Now I basically, I, I transitioned from in front of the camera to behind the scenes, and I basically am an award-winning producer for feature films that I did for, since 1983 until 
about a decade ago, and then I shifted further into doing television specials and epic concerts, um, primarily with my business partner, David Arkenstone, who's a three-time Grammy nominee. So I've sort of shifted into concerts, music, which is great, because I love the EAS band, and we're all really good friends. And it's a very small world, the music world. So I've got TV, film, music. I'm very diverse at the moment. But a day in my life back then, when I was six years old, when we filmed Speedway, uh, oh no, seven. I was just seven when we filmed it. And uh, typical day was getting up in the morning and, and getting to the set probably by 8, 8.30 in the morning. Never too early a call for the kids. Yeah. And then they could, they could only work as, even though school wasn't in session, they could only work as so many hours. So, you know, you could work, I think, four to six hours max back then. And um, all my time was spent on the set with Elvis and Bill Bixby and William Shallert, and we didn't, Nancy Sinatra was the person I knew the least. She was there very little when I was, and she tended to be more in her trailer, whereas Elvis and Bill and I were always hanging out and playing cards, and Elvis and I were making books for the baby, and there's so many priceless stories. He fed my cat, my little kitten in my trailer, my secret kitten, yeah. every lunch, and uh, let's see, we all went to lunch most, most days, and Elvis and Bill once said, if you had to choose one of us, who would you marry right now? And the diplomatic seven-year-old I was, I said, I love you both. How could I possibly choose? Well said. You know? uh, but, uh, so, yeah, we'd have lunch. We'd, we'd play cards. We'd do our scenes. We'd rehearse. We'd run lines. And Elvis was always humming or tapping his foot or keeping a beat of some sort. Very, I mean, he seemed like a genuinely happy guy. If he was upset, I didn't know it. If he was unhappy, I didn't know it. No one would have known. What was it like? Um, did did you realize who Elvis was when you, when you were that age and, and you know growing up? So you knew, oh Lord, this is Elvis Presley. Of I mean, I knew the, I knew who the Beatles were. I knew who Rock Hudson was. I'd worked with him. I'd worked with Danny Kaye for four years. I mean, I wasn't phased by being around really big names because I'd sort of grown up in it. But oh yeah, um, I can see that. But I wasn't blown away and infatuated. I just genuinely adored him as a person and treasured who he was with me and how he interacted with me. That was really, really special. And uh, I didn't look up to him like, oh my God, I'm working with Elvis. Yeah. No. no, but I was extremely well aware of who he was and how popular and how big he was. I mean, all you had to do was walk to lunch and he'd be mobbed by people on the way to the, to the commissary. And he'd stop and be gracious with his fans and talk to them. And I learned so much from him. I, there's so much professionalism. He was a real pro, and he was very, very loving to his fans, and he cared about them. He'd stop everything to talk to everybody. And I'd just patiently wait with him while they talked to him. You know, and then we'd go another 10 feet, and he'd get hit up again. And eventually, we'd make it to lunch. You know. <laughs> Two hours later. <laughs> well, I think sometimes the crew would come out and usher us into the commissary, but, you know, um, no, we'd eventually make it and have lunch and have our fun. But it was a very happy set and a, and a lot of great memories, and I love being part of the Elvis family, and Tupelo is just a gem. It's yeah. an absolute gem. And that was my next question. What is it like for you to come to Tupelo, you know? On a very special and very different than anything else in the Elvis world, because here... Elvis is celebrated and appreciated and loved. It's not about dollars. Yes, it generates dollars, but that's not the purpose, at least that I'm aware of. They genuinely love 
Elvis. This is his home. And no one was phased when he used to come here. He could drive down the street, he could walk down the street, he could go places and not be bombarded or, or hit up with, by fans. This was a safe haven for him. And it still is. It's, it's the same way. Whereas um, other festivals and events are frenetic and they're all about money and, and it has more to do with keeping the, the money flowing than it does about remembering him or celebrating him. And I just think it's a gem. It's a treasure. Tupelo Elvis Festival is a gem. And Tupelo is a beautiful little town. I mean, it's not so little. It's a beautiful town. And uh, generous people. I got a key to the city the other day. I'm blown away that the mayor <laughs> gave me a key to the city. It was so amazing. We're always happy to have you here. And you're a speedway, and you're how old? Eight. Eight? I was your age when the movie was released. Really? Yep. So you knew, I knew Elvis right about the age you are right now. It was very cool. cool. <laughs> in that photo, I was basically your age. I have the dress huh? over in my room. You want to try it on? I think you'd fit. <laughs> <laughs> Don't ask me. She'll we'll do that. Do that. <laughs> I decided to make the Silver Moon the permanent home for the dress oh. because I announced yeah. it on Sirius Elvis Radio yeah. last year. Right. And we're trying to work out all the details now. But basically, I want the dress to be here because it'll be loved and it will never leave Tupelo. Even if they move it around, it will end up in Tupelo, where it belongs. And uh, so people can appreciate it for free and enjoy it and see it and have fun with it or whatever. And uh, we've got a lot of other things in the works, too. But it is Do you like the hot dog scene? Oh, yeah. You know, we, didn't, we, ate, we did eat those, but I didn't eat all eight. It was Elvis's idea. <laughs> It was his idea to eat them, not mine. They were prop hot dogs, and Elvis wanted to try them. And then I took a bite, and then he took, and we ended up eating most of them, yes. But they had to make more hot dogs, but it wasn't my idea, and I did not consume all eight. I just want to make that clear. That rumor's floating around, yeah. and we're dispelling it. Miss Victoria, thank you so much uh, for, have, for, for being here again this year, and uh, thank you for your memories, um, and thank you for um, putting out putting out Elvis, continually putting out Elvis, and thank you for everything My you've done. My pleasure. I'm happy to. I'm happy to help perpetuate yeah. That's Elvis's a... memory and, and contribute to his legacy, whatever that is. Pleasure to meet you. Lovely. Thank you. And for the last interview of the night, it is my pleasure to um, finally talk to in person uh, last year's winner, Mr. Nick Perkins. As you remember, well, hello, first of all. How you doing, man? <laughs> doing well. Um, as you recall, earlier in the podcast series, uh, I missed him completely, and uh, we actually had to do our interview on the phone. Uh, I want to say you were actually may have been riding down the road. I was, yeah. I was. I was. <laughs> so tell me, uh, it's been a year now. Uh, you've you've passed your crown. Uh, what's been going on? Um, a lot of shows. You know, it's been really busy. It's been um, very great year. You know, like I. I my career just totally exploded after winning this contest and being a part of the Tupelo family, you know, that it's become. And, um, you know, just to uh, be a part of something so fantastic and, you know, just being able to see how my career has transpired into what it was a week before I won this to a year after I won this. So it's pretty, pretty incredible. 
Um, one thing Tom Brown said on stage, you know, once you're a Tupelo winner, you're always a winner. What does it, what's it like for you to come back to Tupelo? Well, to come back, you know, it's like it, when I won, it was very, um, very unexpected, very mesmerizing. So to come back and be able to, you know, just sit there and take in the crowd and be able to enjoy that moment of people watching your show instead of watching you compete you know it just was a total honor and um, just a lot of fun and just a huge privilege to be in the birthplace and be able to sing his music you know and, and that actually goes into my next one because what's what's the difference I mean obviously there's a stress factor but what's the difference between competing last year and then performing this year well you know competing you have to, you know you have to be so you have to be so correct, you know. You have to be, do everything just so, and you, it makes you think about that while you're up there, and you want to do it right. So it makes you overthink, you know. But um, being able to d differentiate the two, you know, um, competing is a wonderful way to um, grow in your career and grow as a performer and as a tribute artist. But to be a, a performer and to just be able to do a show and not be judged it's a lot it's a lot of a relief sigh of a relief you know all right nick perkins it's a pleasure to see you pleasure to finally meet you in person and uh, uh thanks so much for a great year we're looking forward to seeing what you got going on the next couple we appreciate it thank you so much Take care brother thanks man Despite all the rain and all the moving around, I believe it was a very successful year for the Elvis Festival here in Tupelo, Mississippi. Please join us again or join us for the first time at the Elvis Festival 2020. You will not be disappointed, so go ahead and start making plans to join us during that time. All right, so what's the future hold for this podcast? I got a few more episodes in the works um, then we're going to be wrapping this up. So do stay with me. Uh, you will not be disappointed. We've got some really cool things coming up, including a trip back to 1956. And as Forrest Gump would say, that's all I've got to say about that. You don't want to miss it. Please stay tuned. Go ahead and hit the subscribe button. You know, you might even want to catch up on the episodes that maybe you've missed. And if you're new to the podcast, I do hope you'll check out the previous episodes and then stick around for the final ones. And who knows, after this is over, there might be something awesome that I just need to tell you. So until next time, my fellow Elvis fans, this is Josh Ward saying, Elvis may have left the building, but he has never left our hearts. Bye. Shaping Elvis is produced and edited by me, Josh Ward. It is a production of WTVA Podcasts. The views and opinions you hear on the show belong to me and my guests and don't necessarily reflect those of WTVA, parent company Heartland Media, or WLOV. Thank you and good night. You've been listening to Shaping Elvis. Josh Ward, you do a great job, brother. Great job. Fantastic. Shaping Elvis Shaping with Elvis. Josh. <laughs>